And with intimacy, there really wasn't anything. It was sort of like, you know, good luck, <laughs> off you go. Um, but the assumption is, is that people experience intimacy in their private lives and should therefore be able to perform it. And I think that that's two very different things. Hello, my name is Poonam and welcome to Crew Chats podcast, where I speak to the people that work behind the scenes in the world of TV, film and theatre. My guest on this episode is intimacy coordinator Lizzie Talbot. Lizzie began her career as a stage combat teacher and the world of stunts. Whilst in the industry, she saw that there was a need for the role of an intimacy coordinator and pursued this profession, going on to found and direct intimacy for stage and screen, advocating for safe intimacy practices across stage and screen. Lizzie has worked on productions such as season one and two of Bridgerton, Anatomy of a Scandal, The Witcher, and this is going to hurt to name a few. Just a note about this episode, it was recorded last year and in it we do discuss sex and some issues which may be triggering for some listeners. Hi Lizzie. Hello, thank you so much for having me. No, thank you very, very much for coming onto the podcast. I'm really interested to learn more about what you do. So you're an intimacy coordinator and I wanted to ask what does that involve for you? So yeah, an intimacy coordinator is someone who like supervises and choreographs all of the intimacy, um, nudity and simulated sex for uh, productions. So that involves um, advocating for the cast and crew, uh, liaising with other uh, heads of department and choreographing uh, the simulated and nudity sex scenes. But, you know, essentially really what, what we are at heart is, is choreographers. That's really where this role sits. Ah, um, now this may sound like a little bit of an obvious question to ask, but um, the answer may be a little bit obvious, but I'm going to ask the question is, what is the need for an intimacy coordinator? and Why is it important? Yes. So in the same way that you've got a stunt coordinator to like oversee and choreograph all of the like storytelling and violent scenes, uh, it's the same way that, you know, we choreograph and storytell all of the intimate scenes, you know, it helps to have someone who is an expert who does this all day, every day, um, manage the <laughs> beginning, middle and end of, of every intimate scene. Um, and I think the need for it has really grown in obviously, you know, the last couple of years. Um, we've been doing this for a while, but, you know, for the last, <laughs> I say, I think in 2015, 2016, so like no one was really interested. And one of the sort of frustrating things is, is that, while we sort of see our industry sort of like come to a reckoning or like a, a self-reflection, uh, especially in the last couple of weeks, um, as we hear stories of allegations surrounding like um, misconduct, sexual harassment, bullying, it, it always like it really frustrates me because I look at the dates of when that stuff was happening. And it's the same time that we are sending out emails to people saying, hey, look, we're here, we're willing to help. And so like, that aspect of it has been like quite frustrating but the really good thing about it now is that we're seeing lots more people take notice and ask us to come in and like supervise and help with these scenes and again it just makes it makes for a better a better production knowing that the actors have been taken care of knowing that the um director's creative vision is being carried out you know consensually with all the actors involved um so yeah i think it's a positive thing for the industry to have us around yeah, definitely. Um, just addressing, say, if they're on a production, there wasn't an intimacy coordinator there. Do you know what the protocols would have been for a scene where there's um, some nudity or an intimate scene? Or is it, you may not necessarily know that's so a bit of an unfair yeah. question to ask, but. No, I mean, so typically what would happen is the director would sort of work it out with the actors um, or leave the actors to work it out by themselves. And the problem is, is that you're sort of relying on the good graces of your co-actor at that point and not all of not everyone has like the, the knowledge or the um, 
understanding around like you know consent and boundaries or even like the creation of intimate choreography like these are actors they don't necessarily do this type of acting choreography every day and there's been innovations that have happened in the last like you know five six years that they might not be aware of so typically before we were around that was happening and what and something else that needs to be mentioned is that you know people from costume and hair and makeup were stepping up and stepping out for actors long before we came on the scene um they were the ones who you know sat with the actors in chairs for sort of three hours every day while they got into um you know hair and makeup and you know because of that there's often like a bond they're going to feel protective of those actors and so when they see them being taken advantage of they're going to step up but you know one of the problems is is that that's not really what they were paid to do and they were often putting you know careers on the line to do that and so it's really good now that there is a recognized and um standardized and I guess authorized uh person to be there yeah it's crazy when you describe that because I think people actors being left to their own devices just bemuses me when I think about what they're doing and I'm thinking of yeah it's just it seems so obvious to have someone like you on a set Um, yeah it's crazy it's interesting yeah because you sort of like wouldn't dream of doing a fight scene without a stunt coordinator like the risks involved with that are like astronomical so the idea that you would sort of do the same thing without a intimacy coordinator sort of a bit mind-boggling now when you look back so yeah 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 I agree um I think before I ask any more questions I think one that would be interesting to ask is how did you get into what you do Sure. So I actually came from like the fight world. I was a a stage combat teacher for a while and I'd done a tiny bit of stunt stuff. Um, And what was just shocking to me was the um, disparity between the two disciplines, you know, for for the fight world, you have so many like safety protocols and safety techniques that you use when you're creating fights. And with intimacy, there really wasn't anything. It was sort of like, you know, good luck, (laughs) off you go. Um, And I think part of it is because, you know, like, People assume that, yes, you know, we don't all run around with swords nowadays. So someone has to come in and help and help us with that. Not everyone throws themselves through windows. But the assumption is, is that people experience intimacy in their private lives and should therefore be able to perform it. And I think that that's two very different things. It's one thing to, you know, experience any sort of intimacy in private life, but completely different to perform it and simulate it for an audience. So seeing that, when did you kind of feel like you wanted to start this as a profession kind of when did you get your break into that world it's funny because when I started there wasn't it wasn't really a profession um you couldn't you couldn't be an intimacy coordinator because the job didn't exist Mm -hmm. um and so it was really it was really bizarre actually it was sort of like it and it was something that we did is really sort of like carve our way into the industry and it was through like emails and chats with unions and like speaking to producers and um I mean the big breakthrough really came with HBO when they took on Alicia Rodas for the juice yeah so that was really sort of like the big breakthrough and so what was really good about that is that it then sort of like became the domino that started the the chain and you know once HBO got some people on board Netflix decided to get someone on board Amazon got people on board do you know what I mean like the the chain fell and uh, that was really sort of like the gateway for us but I really don't believe it would have happened as quickly without the Me Too movement I think that that was certainly a catalyst for change yeah, very. I think it's something very positive that has come out of it mm-hmm. is people being more aware, even just even not necessarily on set, but also on a production generally. Yeah. The, the ability to then have a conversation about it as well opens up a lot more space. Absolutely. Um, 
when you're on a job on a job do you still get people kind of a pushback kind of a why do you need to be there oh yeah all the time <laughs> do you yeah and it's interesting because it comes from different quarters um it's not it's never sort of consistent um yeah and it's it's come from everywhere and you know it's a new role it's turning up on set it's disrupting the norm you know they the industry you know in inverted commas <laughs> survived for for years without us and so you know you've got this person turning up on set what do they have to offer and you know one of the things I always think is it like well the industry survived but it didn't really thrive and so many people experienced like trauma because there wasn't any safeguarding mm. um and I think that there has been sort of like a greater acceptance particularly this year to be honest actually that I've certainly seen more people be uh open to it this year but I've had pushbacks from directors from producers from like costume from hair and makeup from stunts from sort of like every area but it's normally resolved and I think people have seen that you know like there is a positive from it actors have been like overwhelmingly receptive to it so I think you know people all want the actors to be looked after and cared for and you know when they see that happening I think that there is a degree of like oh you know what this is probably okay yeah yeah I find again I find that very bemusing that you do get pushed back <laughs> I would have expected you to kind of be like no everyone's really on board <laughs> no I mean and you know what the thing is though if you're a director and you've been doing this stuff for 30 years and no one's ever complained to you about it through like mm. a variety of reasons maybe you've handled everything perfectly maybe the actor's been too nervous to say that you haven't maybe the actor hasn't been aware of trauma until a couple of months later and it's not worth getting in contact with the director about it you know mm. but if you're a director in that position that's never heard anything negative about your practice the the idea that someone could come in and I think they feel that we're there to supervise but in the same way that like a like a stunt coordinator isn't there to supervise like that's not our job either our job is to make sure that like the storytelling of the director's vision is happening in a really safe and consensual way and it just means that there's more input now than there ever was but it's certainly not like a supervisory role and I know that there have been some like ICs who've sort of walked on set being like don't worry everything's fine I'm here now um but you know like there's they're few and far between and you know I think everyone's sort of pulling together in the same direction it's just people have had different ways about you know getting there yeah I think it's really good if it's something that becomes normalized and you just become another part of the crew which everyone accepts to be there which is really good now you referred to sort of coordinating intimacy as kind of choreography Mm -hmm. how do you begin when you start on a production so typically we're hired quite early on in pre-production um we'll have lots of meetings with the director we'll have meetings with the actors um we'll find out what their consent and boundaries are we'll go through like an intimacy breakdown so we'll go through the scripts work out which scenes we're needed for and which ones we aren't we'll also probably have yeah just some further meetings with actors to to figure out if there's any practical things that we should know and again like these can all be condensed or spread out depending on how much time is available um and then we'll go into like rehearsals so we'll start rehearsing with the actors figuring out like the story um that needs to be told and how we can physically get there Um, And then we'll look at their nudity rider. So in every contract, an actor has an addendum called a nudity rider, which will determine what they are and are not willing to show on screen. And so we'll go through that with them. Um, I'll often like email them backwards and forwards, making sure that the language is absolutely what they want it to be so that they're in full control. 
Um, it then goes to legal where it's written up and it's signed by the actor, obviously the agents. And then we will make sure that that happens at least uh, 48 hours before arriving on set. And then we'll go into sort of like set rehearsals and, and then we'll shoot. Although intimacy, we normally equate it to um, in, uh, simulated sex scenes. That's not necessarily all that is. It's not solely that. There's other aspects of it too, aren't there? Totally. I mean, like we also um, work with scenes of nudity. So if an actor's not simulating any sex, but, you know, they might be showing parts of their body that would be um, like underneath a bikini, um, then yes, we absolutely are there for those scenes. Um, we're also there for platonic intimacy. So for example, like intimacy between a parent, a child, brother, sister, best friends, um, family members, that sort of thing. Like we, we, we can absolutely facilitate that as well. That's interesting. And when you describe it as, as I, this is also a hard question to ask, but I also assume it's probably a hard question to answer as well, because I think it's very, it's not always tangible necessarily, but how, how does it work when you're choreographing these intimate scenes, I guess? So in terms of what goes on in the room? Yeah, I guess so, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, my approach is sort of like to meet actors where they are. I don't want to impose a um, a particular sort of process upon them because they might have their own. Um, and as long as it's safe, I, I've got no problem working with that. And I think really we're sort of like breaking down like what's at the heart of this scene is it about control is it about power dynamics like is it about um a breach in trust like like what what's really at the heart of this scene and again like breaking it down and then going through like some physical options um like how can we tell the story where which one makes the most sense um which ones are the actors most comfortable with and and working through it like that and we have like various different like techniques so that we can mask and sort of do our smoke and mirrors thing (laughs) so that people aren't actually having sex on camera (laughs) i won't ask you to reveal those that'll be (laughs) trade secrets um but often you hear, I mean, you hear about when actors do um, subsequent to something coming out that they've been in and they've been in these kinds of scenes, they kind of say, well, we had like a right laugh about it. Do you find mm-hmm. that usually laughter is one of the things that is the first thing to sort of come out of a situation like this? Or is it because oh, there is totally. awkward, I imagine it's very awkward. Oh, totally. I, well, the thing is, is that like I always like to have quite a lot of fun in my rehearsals. And so like typically within a couple of minutes, like everyone's laughing. Uh, and I think that's really nice. It sort of helps break the tension because yeah. instead of like people being you know having trepidation about us coming in and being like oh you know the fun police are in (laughs) oh you know can't say anything I think it sort of like helps break the tension when they see that you know like sex is just funny anyway so you know like it it is going to feel a bit silly like some of the stuff we do uh but as long as you can find like the humor in it and like everyone does at some point you know that you can create uh, a really nice uh, and lovely like team building atmosphere in there uh, in the rehearsal room and that's sort of what I strive for really yeah no it's it's always really funny hearing this and actually I'm going to ask I know you you were the intimacy coordinator on the first season at Bridgerton and I think the sex scenes in that first season are what everyone basically wanted to talk about there were, um, there were there were quite a few how was it working on a production like that and then it was a lot of fun you know we've got a lot of actors who um you know really enjoyed working together and had a lot of fun together you know there's uh, some actors that had so much fun together that we didn't really get much done sometimes because <laughs> uh, you know we were laughing a lot but yeah you know like everyone at the end of the day is like super professional and it was it was just like a, a real pleasure to work with everyone. 
did you when you were sort of working on it and then did you sort of think this is going to be the thing that everyone's talking I mean I guess it's hard to say but what was the feeling when afterwards because you chore obviously it was choreographed by you and your team and that it was a massive point of conversation so after it came out were you like really I don't know was it like a weird feeling to think that that's the thing that I was working and that's the one thing that everyone the steamy seems everyone's sort of chatting about it's funny because I really didn't know with Bridgerton what it was going to be like there was another show I was working on at the same time um, and I thought that was going to be like the biggest thing ever I really did thought I thought if there's going to be a career break it's going to be that show and I knew that Bridgerton was going to be big I knew that had it had sort of great you know partnerships between you know Shondaland and Netflix I knew that the writing was good but one of the things is that I only see such small snapshots I see like the intimate scenes so it's really hard to know what the rest of it is going to look like obviously like I'll read the scripts and I'll have some idea of the story but it's very different you know like reading the scripts to seeing it you know put on its feet and so I knew that it I knew that the books were incredibly popular so I think that there was an element of pressure there because you know when you're sort of taking something that people love um, from the books and, and put it on screen, you know, there's always the risk of, you know, like destroying lots of people's like <laughs> internal fantasies about it, um, which is quite scary. But I think um, I managed to see the screeners about a month early or something. And when I was watching them, I was like, oh, oh no, this is going to be, this is going to be what does it. <laughs> about the first five minutes in, I was like, oh yeah. <laughs> sailing here this is this is great <laughs> um yeah that is what people have taken away from the first season I have to say it's the thing that <laughs> people when I mention it they're just like that's the first thing they mention nothing else um <laughs> oh, there's so many good elements and there's so many fantastic things about it you know like the the costumes the jewelry the hair the makeup uh the, the sets oh my gosh the sets um locations oh just like you know just and that's and it's all added to and like underpinned by just the uh, phenomenal acting of, of so many talented people on the show. Yeah, no, very much. It's like a sweet shop of, I yeah, think really like, it, like a sweet shop, isn't it? Yeah. So collaborating, obviously you're uh, collaborating with the actors, you're working with them, but and the director, I guess, as well. Um, what about other departments? How far does the collaboration extend? Because I know from maybe a costume perspective, you're looking at um, intimacy garments and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. And I mean, I think one of the cool, the very cool things about, you know, working on a show with Bridgerton is that, uh, you know, like they make everything. And so they can make everything exactly to, you know, uh, an actor's comfort. Whereas like a lot of the other things, you're sort of like buying them off the rack or maybe you're sort of like, you know, buying them in. Um, it is incredible on Bridgerton that they that they can do so much in-house. Um, and that was just something that I was continually astonished by the, uh, just the like the grace and the um, interest of the costume department in the comfort of, of the actors um, insofar as that they were willing to make all of the modesty garments themselves, which was very cool. Um, and yeah, we, we had to have like a lot of collaboration, you know, with Bridgerton and lots of other shows, you know, like costume is, is quite high up on the list of, of 
people that we interact with um, and depending on the show like for example some of the shows I'm on like I have to work quite closely with the stunt coordinators you know like it's particularly if it's something that's based more in action um, or you know like we want to do scenes of simulated sex that might be up against things or hard surfaces or underwater or, or whatever it is you know like like we'll have to collaborate pretty hard with the stunt coordinators team on it so that's something and then occasionally you know we, we have to really talk to to hair and makeup particularly if we're dealing with like wigs in simulated sex because uh you know we need those to stay on and uh you know if there's like tattoos and things that need to cover up be covered up particularly if they're in like a more intimate area uh we'll have to coordinate with hair and makeup about that and obviously you know we have a very strong relationship with the ad team because they're with us you know on on every scene that we do um and so having a good relationship with like the first the second and the crowd second and you know thirds and you know the, the amazing runners that that we get to work with uh that's all super important as well yeah um what's been the most interested interesting slash difficult um scene you've had to choreograph or work um, on generally scenes that involve being underwater are quite tricky I will say that I yeah because you're sort of like having to yeah, like maneuver around uh, a lot of moving parts at that point. And then you've got the added complication of the fact that everything is now underwater um, and things need to be uh, waterproof and things need to adhere properly. And depending what the temperature of the water is, that will affect things. Um, And the fact that, you know, getting out between takes is pretty difficult. And so the water has to then continue to heat up and all that kind of stuff. Mm. So Um, you just in terms of more practically with a a kind of on set situation I, I mean I know that naturally you have a close set with these kinds of things but people listening may not know how that actually functions but could you explain a little bit about on practically when you're um, filming a scene like this what happens yeah so you know typically the the first AD is going to announce that it's a closed set it will have already been on the call sheet sort of the night before so people are aware and then on any sort of like upcoming diaries like it would have been made clear and so typically what happens is everyone who is not absolutely crucial to the scene being shot will, will head off we will make sure that exits are you know safely closed off um, we'll make sure that excess monitors are being covered or will be turned off so they're sort of limited things like take will be limited as well um, to people who need it what sorry what's a Q take yeah so basically it's a sort of a, a, like a wi-fi almost like a streaming service that goes oh, okay. out to like people's ipads and potentially phones um, and they can watch like what you would see on the monitors on their um, ipads and the good thing about it is that you can do a lot of like screen grabs for continuity purposes so for example in costume hair and makeup it's quite easy for them to to, to get continuity photos that way Oh, it's like a version um, of sync concept. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Yep. Sorry, carry on. No, 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 no. It's fine. Um, and so like we'll make sure that that's limited or turned off. And that, you know, only people that really need to be in the scene there as you know, and make sure that we've got like robes standing by um from costume to make sure that we can keep the actors covered in between takes. Yeah, that's very interesting. Because I think it's always, I mean, when you watch things, you always think, how did they do that? And I think the first thing most people think is I would not be able to kind of perform in that space with like yeah. 100 people gawking at me or whatever. Yeah, no, that doesn't happen. I mean, <laughs> it's interesting now, especially with COVID, because, you know, what's really happened is every set has almost become a minimal people around kind of situation you know like we're paring down as much as we can to sort of you know prevent you know people uh being around that don't need to be just because of like numbers 
Um, so yeah. Yeah, it's true. It's all very have to need to be basis, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, now, uh, when it comes to say, obviously um, simulated sex, uh, you obviously I know you mentioned you brief the actors on whatever kind of scene it is rather and when it comes to maybe more sensitive issues face for example domestic violence or rape Mm -hmm. is there a sort of different um kind of conversation or process you go through I mean if it involves any type of violence we're going to make sure that there's a stunt coordinator present Mm -hmm. because I think that that's really important in again managing the physicality of that and again we'll have a different process you know it might be triggering for some people so how can we support them in that I'm just making sure that we're not crossing any boundaries like if there is a situation like I don't need to know full details about it you know as long as an actor says hey uh, I've got potential to be triggered here so I'm going to be careful with that and yeah I think I think we're just uh, a little bit more heightened to the fact that and but to be honest you know like anything can be triggering um it, it really can it, there's sometimes there's no rhyme or reason for it and uh, some people often don't know they've been triggered until they're sort of like you know a, a couple of seconds into it or even a couple of minutes and so it's our responsibility to sort of like you know keep an eye out for that prevention is better than any cure at this point so making sure we're not getting to the point that people are triggered so we'll do a lot more work in pre-production it's really important um just the more you more i speak to you, the more i like think about the fact that your role is just incredibly important on set and it should be the norm um, we're working on it yeah <laughs> I think we're it's amazing mandatory on set <laughs> yeah it's great what do you hope changes in the industry in relation to your job or just generally I guess I mean I think for me and, I, and I've kind of said this on a couple of interviews it really sort of came to me when I was like speaking one day and I was like oh yeah that's that's exactly what, what I think we should be looking for and part of it I think is that one of the things that I hope to see is that intimacy coordinators are not seen as like the only advocates on set. And I think sometimes it can be viewed that that's what we are. Um, But really what we are at the heart of it is choreographers. And so if we in five years time are still the only people that are seen to be the um, advocates on set, uh, we've definitely failed as an industry. So what we want is the level of advocacy to to rise for everyone involved in productions and for us to really sit there as you know like a third party and and essentially you know as a a choreographer yeah no that makes complete sense now I asked this is going to be the silly question that I'm sure you get asked very often I think but in those intimates in the simulated sex scenes Mm -hmm. I and this is the question that people like you've got to ask this question I mean in those situations I'm sure people naturally will have a a physical reaction I'm phrasing Mm -hmm. this in a very it's all right I I, don't know the language to use myself (laughs) a physical kind of chemical reaction themselves and how do you count like how do you deal with that situation because it's perfectly natural right I mean of course yeah and like no one should ever be shamed for it and it can happen with people who have vaginas and people who have penises so it really doesn't um you know like there's equal reaction that can happen um I think one of the great things that has happened in the last sort of like four years is that modesty garments have improved dramatically and the cool thing about modesty garments improving dramatically is that essentially no one should know because there is enough padding down there that regardless of whether there is an erection or not the other person won't have a clue um and i think that that's the really important thing because then we're not like sending someone out of a room or you know waiting for it to go away because i mean it's it's pointless like there's no that that's not conducive to anything and it just brings feelings of shame so i think having like really solid and really sturdy and really effective modesty garments means that you know everyone's comfortable because it's not it's not a thing that we have to think about 
No, that makes that you answered your the question very professionally in relation to the way I asked it, which was <laughs> in the, no, the most silliest way of answering it. Actually, is is there a difference between kind of the work that you do on a period drama versus one that you do on more contemporary, maybe slash even fantasy, depending on how sex was viewed in the in the period that you're working? Yeah. Um, so fantasy and and period. Are, are, are quite different and I, I really enjoy doing them to be honest and I think something about them is that you know the costumes are so interesting like the costumes are stunning and I really really love working with um like period and fantasy costumes I think they're very cool um and also that it's a little easier to provide actors with more coverage whereas in modern you know like modern underwear and and modern sort of like undergarments are really small <laughs> and they don't <laughs> tend to hide anything um so it it can feel a little bit more exposed. Whereas, you know, working with like period, you can get like quite clever about the the tricks that you use to hide things. So I, I certainly enjoy, I just find it, you know, just a more um, interesting uh, time period to, to, to like consider and to work with. Yeah, that's really interesting. And actually, I don't know if this comes under necessarily your remit, but do you have to research how, say sex, say for example, in that, in that situation, how mm-hmm. sex was viewed in that, say if it is a period drama, how sex okay. would have been viewed and how they Absolutely. would have gone about it, I guess. <laughs> yeah, we have to do a lot of research around it. Um, just because you don't want to be walking into a room and like choreograph something that's completely inaccurate for the period um you also have to know how all of the like undergarments come off and if they're not going to come off that way so how can you cheat it so it looks like they are all that kind of stuff uh yeah and I mean I never want to if a director turns around to me and says oh you know how should we do this I don't want to be fumbling because I don't understand the time period or the context so for me it's really important to do like a research project beforehand to make sure that I'm like fully aware of what I'm walking into um, I could ask you questions all day long. Literally, it could go on and on about these kind of like really nuanced things. Um, but that brings me on to my final question, which is what are your three favourite to watch recommendations? OK, so this is probably cheating because two of them aren't even out yet. But I'm, really excited. I'm really <laughs> excited about them. Uh, one is that there's been news yesterday of like a spin-off series for Queen Charlotte on Bridgerton. And I am so excited about that. I think that's going to be great. Um, the Ooh. second is that Sanditon has returned and it was like supposed to be absolutely cancelled, never heard from again. Um, but yeah, so uh, it, it's really exciting to hear that that's been uh, commissioned. And I guess the third one that I really sort of like enjoy watching is actually the Tudors. Um, so like, yeah, period dramas are kind of my... I was going to say it as a, yeah. a link. Um, <laughs> Exactly. And so I I just really, I I think it's a really, especially like the early seasons, I think that they're just really well done and very interesting to watch. They are, they are. I agree with you there. But thank you for your recommendations and thank you for coming on the podcast. It's been really interesting to learn about what you do. And I, I, I think it's fascinating and a really valuable work as well. So thank you so much for having me. It's very cool to talk to you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. And I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Lizzie. And if you get a moment, could you please like, follow or subscribe on your podcast platform and follow the Crew Chats podcast on Instagram. Thank you.